0: Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to a special Roka Report podcast as we begin the countdown to our third appearance at Wembley in as many seasons, this time in the form of the EFL Trophy Final where we are due to face promotion chasing Tranmere Rovers from League 2. So today we are delighted to be joined by the Vice Chairman of Tranmere Rovers which is of course Nicola Palios. Welcome Nicola.
1: Good morning.
0: You must be uh, Ridiculously busy in the build-up to Wembley, which we'll obviously get into. But uh, how are you keeping at the moment?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it's very strange times for football, but uh, as as a club, we're keeping well. You know, we're we're flying at the moment in the league. We've done well in the Cups this year. There's a, a sense of positivity, which is nice, because I think particularly with this third lockdown, you know, people's heads were really starting to go down a bit. I think it's got to people a lot more than, than the first and even the second lockdown. So it's nice to be able to bring a bit of, uh, bit of good news and a bit of happiness to yeah. the Wirral Peninsula. Definitely.
0: Well, we'll get on to the build-up in in Wembley and how it's kind of impacting the Tranmere fans, especially at the minute, as as you mentioned. But I want to kind of give uh, Sunderland fans just a kind of, you know, where you've come from to get back to here. It's an amazing story when I started digging into it. It's been kind of seven years since uh, you and your husband, Mark, took control over the club at Tranmere. And uh, like I said, to say it's been a roller coaster would be... A bit of a, <laughs> an understatement. Uh, but does the to start off, with, I mean, does the fact that you've taken this on as, as kind of a husband and wife mean that you can kind of help each other, you know, when the lows come as well as kind of enjoying the highs? Because you're both living it, which is pretty rare.
1: It does. I think when we, when we first got involved in the club, we had a conversation and it was basically along the lines of we either do it together or we don't do it because I think we knew even then it would become so sort of all consuming that if one of us was off doing that and the other one was sort of, you know, sitting at home twiddling their thumbs or doing other things would be like ships that that passed in the night. So it was always uh, the intention that it would be the two of us together that would do it. That having been said, it does mean you never get away from it because we think about it, we talk about it constantly, you know, at, at home as well as during what would be a, a normal working day to the extent that any football club has a normal working day.
0: I was thinking about it because obviously it must take some kind of focus for one of you to to be the one to try and pick the other one up when you're both kind of in it so much and so deep.
1: Yeah, I and and I think I think we've we've sort of taken turns at that sometimes. I think uh, Mark particularly if we just lost a game, like any fan for the next 12 hours, you're not going to get anything other than, you know, a really unhappy grumpy Mark. <laughs> And, and hopefully that I can help uh, put a bit of perspective on that. Um, but equally, he's he's been an enormous help to me. Sometimes, you know, when things aren't going as you want and, and you're sort of worrying about things, then, uh, yeah, it's just great to be able to have somebody to, uh, to talk to who understands the issues and the pressures that football clubs bring.
0: Like I said, on the flip side, I imagine you've had some pretty... Spectacular celebrations as well. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you took over in uh, 2014 and at the time, club were on the verge of relegation for, from League One after actually 13 uh, years at, uh, at that level. Well, but it, they
1: had just been relegated oh, from they'd League just One been when relegated. we took them, yeah.
0: Right, was that in the August when you actually took control, was it?
1: Yeah, we, we took over um, basically on, on, on the first match of the season. Ah. But, yeah, they had been relegated at the end of the previous season.
0: Was it in the pipeline as the club were fighting that relegation, or was um, that did that come in the summer?
1: Well, it, it's quite a story, actually, because until the sort of May of that year, Mark and I had never discussed, never contemplated getting involved in Tranmere. But Mark, because he had played at the club for so long and, and he still had friends who were working there, from time to time when we were up in the area visiting family, we would pop into the club. Uh, And say hello to people. And we went into uh, the club in the April, I think it was of 2014. And um, it was just in a really sorry state. A a number of staff had been made redundant. The fabric of the stadium was really deteriorating. The paint was falling off the outside. The seats were rusting the club some of the players were had been involved in a or were being investigated they were actually subsequently exonerated in a spot fixing issue and obviously off the pitch they were struggling and and threatened with relegation and as we drove away Mark said it's really sad to see my old club like that it seems to be in a bit of a death spiral but we thought nothing more of it and then we went off Uh, we have a house in France Uh, the last day of the season we were driving back from the house in France uh, listening to the radio and uh, it came over the radio that Tranmere had been relegated because it was one of those Weird situations where lots of things had to happen on the last match. Um, I think you know, ten minutes out they were safe, and ten minutes later they were down, and it came over the the radio the, the club was relegated. And Mark um, said, "I think that might be the end of Tranmere." because Peter Johnson had given it some great years and had been supporting it for years and years and years. But, but bluntly was, I think, fed up of just writing out big checks at, at the end of each season and had been um, openly trying to sell the club for um, a long time. And, and I think Mark's view was that, as I said, it was in a bit of a death spiral. And with the relegation to League Two, they could easily go straight through Um, into the National League and um, Peter might not be prepared to continue supporting the club on that basis. And I said quite flippantly, well, why don't we go and do something about it then? And by the end of the the the, the trip, at the drive back home, uh, we'd convinced ourselves to at least pick up the the phone to Peter Johnson and have a conversation and and see how he felt about it. So it was literally uh, the middle of May was the first time we had ever contemplated it. And by the beginning of August, or the ninth of August, I think it was, um, we'd done the deal and, and were the new owners of the club. That's. Quite amazing,
0: really, because, like you said, Mark had turned around and said, "Well, you know, because of this relegation, they're likely to go down again. Likely to go in administration." And and you still did it because you, you knew those dark days were going to come, really, by the sounds of it. But you still yeah. you still jumped in.
1: But the back story to that is, uh, Mark had a a very unusual career because, um, although he was a professional footballer for many years, uh, he played over four hundred games in the league. Hmm. He um, became a chartered accountant alongside it. And after his playing career he was over, he became the head of business turnaround for Coopers. So his speciality was going into troubled businesses and trying to turn them around and save them in a, in a very hands-on way. And so the thought process that we went through was, you know, he knows the area. He loves the area. It's his club. Uh, he's played for them for years. He understands football. He understands business turnaround. So in some ways, he had the ideal CV. Uh, and I also come from a, 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 a business background. Um, I had recently sold my business interests. So it was a bit of, well, if we can't do it, then the football model has really know, irretrievably broken in this country. So let's see if we can do it and get it back to a position where it can be financially self-sustainable because, I mean, I mean, whilst Mark and I are wealthy by many standards, by the standards of wealthy people and certainly by the standards of football owners, we certainly aren't. And we simply weren't in a position to be able to bankroll the club indefinitely. So it was very much a remit to come in and to sort the club out so that it could be financially self-sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, inevitably, maybe from, from what you said, but actually it was quite close. But that second success of relegation did come. um, And, you know, it was kind of obviously sad on any occasion, relegation, but it was actually Chanmere losing their status of being a, a football league club, which they'd had for 94 years, which, yeah. I mean, is huge for the club. But but I read, it was interesting, I read um, after going down the last day of the season, uh, 3-2 defeat at Plymouth, You you actually approached the fans afterwards, which, you know, on such an occasion just sounds like such an odd thing.
1: Because so many of our fans, I think there were about um, 750 odd, had gone down to Plymouth Mm. um, in the almost certain knowledge that that was going to be the day that we were relegated out of the Football League, as you say, for the first time in our history. And we just felt that, you know, we've got to acknowledge the fact that the, the fans know how difficult a time we're facing and they've stuck with us. And um, the, the, the support we got from them was absolutely amazing. And it's, you know, it, it really um, galvanised us and kept us going through what were some pretty torrid times. I
0: noticed that season your top scorer was a certain Max Power. Um, with set <laughs> seven goals during that season and he left at the end of that season to join Wigan Athletic. But obviously, I mean, those sort of things are always a blow. He's a local lad who came through the ranks. But I mean, in terms of the big picture, you you were kind of touching on it there. I mean, obviously, inevitable kind of redundancies, uh, you know, followed at the the club, obviously dropping into the non-league. But I mean, how how bad kind of in financial terms did things get after after dropping out of the AFL? Were you expecting it? Was it on the levels that you were expecting or... Did it actually hit the club harder than you thought?
1: It was it's it's pretty brutal. I mean, obviously you lose the EFL funding. When we went down, we were the last club to go down under the old regime, which meant yeah. you got half of your normal funding for a year and then nothing. They've doubled the amounts you get now to cushion the blow a bit. Mm. So, but we just missed that. And it also meant that in your third season you lost all the academy funding and the registration rights to the players. And that was that was a real blow because you know Tranmere had been a club that had a, you know a, a history of, of developing players. Max Power is a, is a good example of that. Aaron Cresswell. And we were really sort of aggrieved by this because we just felt it was wrong in principle. Because the first team hadn't done well, despite the fact that our academy was consistently getting excellent ratings and was, you know, under-16 champions and was flying. We lost the registration rights to our players, and I have to say, it kind of uh, divided the good guys from the bad guys in our minds in terms of the way that some of the clubs in the EFL and the Premier League uh, dealt with us after that, because there were so who actually if they wanted to take our players um, said look we know you're not technically due compensation anymore but we are going to treat you as if you are because we think it's the right thing to do Mm. Um, there are others who I will spare their blushes by not mentioning them um, on here but who did the exact opposite and you know like vultures swooped and took off the players that some of whom had been with us for many many years and took them for nothing. Yeah. Um yeah. and that, that hurt. So I mean the, the the revenues that the club lost um during the three seasons that we spent in the non league was about about three and a half million pound deficit through that period, which That's... was a significant amount of money to us.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that at that at that level, three and a half million pound is is a huge sum. Yeah,
1: you know? absolutely.
0: So I mean, obviously that the plan to come back and drag the club back from that law. I mean, how how do you plan to restructure from And the two successive relegations with the aim to to come back, Where, where did you start?
1: So the main thing was to start trying to build parts of the business where the success wasn't dependent on what we were doing on the pitch. Um, and that was because we wanted to have reliable income streams, which would finance a top third budget for us in whatever league we were playing in, year in, year out. So um, it, it was it was interesting in the first year because one of the first things that we did after having been relegated into the national league was do a re- big revamp of the stadium. We revamped all the hospitality suites um, and and did a major piece of work. We replaced six thousand seats in the stands. You know. We We repainted it all. And it was an important... It was important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it it enabled us to start building those hospitality revenues and and other income streams that would hopefully provide us with a sustainable income. But also it was a very visible sign to the fans that we're not letting this club go and we're planning for the future and we know we're at a low point, but we are building back and we're going to build back stronger and better than the club ever was before. So, So oddly, the first thing that we did was spend money um to but but then you had to because the problem was that the club for years had been cutting costs and cutting costs and cutting playing budgets and cutting staff bills etc so that the check that peter johnson had to write at the end of the year was as small as possible but it doesn't work ultimately because everything had become so tired uh, you know that the function rooms and that had become so tired that nobody wanted to have their parties or weddings or anything like that in there anymore so so we had to reverse that um and we also started building other businesses and and doing things like looking at some of the community stuff separately as well in a way that it actually generates revenue for the club so we had like uh, most uh, football clubs do our charitable foundation which does brilliant work in the community and actually you know a lot of really wide work well beyond football but we also felt that there was a lot of stuff being contracted out by the local health authorities and the local council to third parties around fitness around mental health around employability that we as as a football club, were probably better positioned to be able to engage with the people that they were trying to get to than than some of the sort of corporate providers or council mm. bodies that were doing it. And so we we started building with them a model for using the club as a as a delivery tool for important programs so a good example is the mental health agenda obviously at the moment there is an issue with suicides and depression and young men are at particularly high risk now if you try and tell a, a 21-year-old bloke who's suffering depression to go to a, a sort of council counselling session or to go along to a clinic somewhere, he's not going to go. Yeah. If you tell them to come down to the football club and have a game of indoor five-a-side football with, you know, another dozen blokes who are all in the same camp and then, you know, you sit and have a talk and a discussion with them afterwards you know, it's something that they actually enjoy and it brings so many extra benefits. I mean, the fact that they're doing something physically produces the serotonin in the brain, which of itself helps make you feel better. But it means they're out and they're socialising and they're talking to people who will empathise with them and not stigmatise them. And so it works really well and they come back again and again. And we get paid for that because as much as the NHS or the council or whoever it is is commissioning would pay their own staff to deliver it, or pay a pay a a third party they've actually found that using us as that delivery vehicle gives them better results so that for us was a real win-win because it really makes us an important part of the fabric of our local community and it's also benefiting the club at the same time so that that was another big plank that we started building building then and, and and i think we've really seen that come into its own during the the pandemic
0: yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Just the the small things that that you can that you can do just to not not just make people feel better about the football club at times like that, but you know just to just to help the the community just by those by those small things. And like you said, a a football club can be central to to those things. In a community, at times, but um, but I mean, back back on the pitch. I mean, you you, you get the ball rolling. Uh, you finish sixth in the, in that first season in the in the national league, um, and then Mickey Mellon comes in, and the following season uh, you lose out at Wembley in the playoff final, Forest Green, which which must have been a huge blow. Which I'll not <laughs> I'll not I'll not dwell on. Um, you did finish runners-up, um, but the next season uh, you won the final after finishing runners-up again, and a pretty epic final at Wembley against Boreham Wood in twenty eighteen. Where I mean, it's fair to say. You did it the hard way, down to 10 men after 46 seconds. Then you were forced yeah. into making all three substitutions before half-time. Yeah. I mean, obviously a yeah, dude, One, one day, of but... our
1: players got, got hit by a bottle from yeah. the crowd and, and, and had to go off. So as you say, yeah, all our subs before half-time. I think I'm right in saying that we didn't have a single one of our first team defenders on the pitch by half time and it was like oh my god (laughs) Um, you know and and then so despite all the odds we'd gone 1-0 up and then the referee played the most astonishing amount of injury time at the end of the first half and I think um, I I, I think they they equalised in the ninth Mm. minute of extra time in the first half and so went back in at half time and it was like This is just could not go worse. You know, we cannot be in a position where for the second year in a row, we're going to get to the playoff final and lose out. But, you know, we were down to 10 men. We had no subs left. We were, uh, you know, a patched up defence. And then, yeah, North pops up with a winner and the rest is history.
0: Fantastic. But I mean, was it also a huge, I mean, obviously celebrations, fantastic day, but was it also a relief to get back in the Football League as well?
1: it was a massive relief absolutely huge relief i mean the, the 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 financial burden at that point was was really heavy as i said you know mark and i aren't uh, mega millionaires who, who could carry on funding it and i and you know there were times when we were really you know losing sleep at night about can we get the wages paid this month uh, and i'm proud to say we we always did pay everybody on time we never missed a payment but blimey it, it was hard work and it was an enormous enormous stress on us so the relief of growing up was absolutely huge and it just sparked the most enormous party. And one of the lovely mm-hmm. things about being um, a lower league club and, and at Sunderland, you know, you you were obviously in the Premier League not so long ago, so I don't know how it is now for you. But one of the things that I really loved and our our fans really loved is that the players, the managers, the owners, we were all celebrating together. Everybody was drinking together, partying together. There were some epic videos and photos of what just turned into a a week long uh, absolutely mind-blowing <laughs> celebration it was great and i thought you know for all the 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 playing in the in the lower reaches of, of the football league uh, lacks the glamour of of the premiership and you know liverpool fans when they did their amazing things last year you know got to see their heroes from uh, you know, on on a bus or on a balcony, whereas you know I was there, there's that real sense of connection there, which I think is is almost impossible to replicate if you're up in the higher reaches of uh, of professional football.
0: Yeah, it was brilliant. that uh, reminded something. I had a bit of a smile on my face when I was reading last night. When um... I think there was a story I read where you you had the trophy in a plastic bag or something in a restaurant and someone Towing wanted a Chinese
1: a, restaurant and yeah. someone
0: someone wanted a, a selfie when you were walking down the street with it and things like that. I mean, kind of the next season as well. You're at Wembley again, uh, second home, which is probably the yep. narrative narrative for this <laughs> for story <this talk, laughs> as we as build up to it. But um, yeah, next season, League Two playoff final against Newport County and uh, getting a little bit of revenge on Forest Green in the semi final must have been um, nice on the way as well. Got your own back there, <laughs> but uh, but keeping up the tradition of drama. Um, the the playoff final itself, it's drifting into a penalty shootout. Up pops Connor Jennings last minute of extra time to take you into yeah. to, to League One. Um, obviously amazing to look back on where you'd come from. But was this the point where you thought, right, you've returned Tranmere back to to where this should be in terms of the statue of the club.
1: I, I think there was an element of that. Um, I think because, you know, you, you can argue about where where Tranmere's natural place in the league is. And, and for many, many years, it was in the Championship. Um, and, you know, in fact, was in the in the, in the the playoffs for what's now the Premiership uh, three years in a row. But one of the things that, that to me is, is a bit depressing, but that happened during that first sort of five years of our ownership was really the enormous chasm that opened up between uh, the finances in the championship and the finances in League One, because I think when we first came, you could see how just organically from growing the business slowly and steadily and sustainably, you could get back into the championship and you could sustain yourselves in the championship, which I think was probably where we felt would be the perfect outcome for Tranmere. Um, in in that intervening period the gap uh in wages between league one and the championship has just become an absolute chasm um and it's difficult uh to see how absent somebody coming in and putting a significant new investment in that you can sustain that you get the odd outliers you know you look at Accrington for example for the early part of this season and they were up there and challenging although like most of the smaller clubs they tend to fall away at the end Wickham made it up there this year they're obviously going to come straight back down by the looks yeah. of it i'm not convinced they would have uh, got up if if we'd played out the season i think yeah. they were lucky because as i say you tend to find the clubs that haven't got the big budgets are the ones who fall away uh, in the last third of the season but they they can't afford to compete with the championship wages they're so um so distorted by the parachute payments from the premier league in particular um and so that makes it a bit more difficult so so yes um Getting back into League One and staying in League One, I think is, I don't want to say not difficult, but, you know, you can see a clear path of of, of how you do that. Even getting promoted to the championship, I think, is doable. Sustaining yourself in the championship, uh, you know, being able to have a second season there, I think um, needs something more. And what Mark and I have, have said on that is that would either need external investment, or um, us to move stadium, interestingly, which is always a controversial one with football fans, but it is one of the ways that we could... Uh, potentially fundamentally change our off pitch revenue streams because it's not as if we need a new stadium for um, fan number purposes we we have a stadium that holds over fifteen thousand at the moment but it's around having something that is much better able to do um in in the model of mk don's you know all of the other the hotels and the the music venues and make it a a real destination 365 days a year around it so that that would obviously be uh, a huge project if it came off but I think it takes something like that now to be able to sustain yourselves in the championship
0: it's interesting from, from my point of view because actually the, there's conversations where even the, the, the gaps kind of got that big there's conversations with Sunderland fans saying you know even if we made that step up with the squad we've got now and the wages that we've had to have in league one it's a big step for it, even even for us to to make into the championship and how we can rebuild the squad so I mean mm. to and especially you making that kind of journey so quickly back up from the, the National League, it's probably, you know, you're even, mm. you're taking an even bigger step. So it's uh, it's amazing now that the, the leaps that you could take, once upon a time people could, you know, I remember Swansea and a few other clubs, Wimbledon obviously back in the days, jumping through the leagues as if it was, you know, no problem and easy yeah. to do, but... Uh,
1: And and, and it was much more possible then. Um, But the, you know, the the impact of what goes on in the Premier League just has uh, ripple effects all the way down the pyramid. And and for my mind, the parachute payments is one of the massive distorters because there is so much money in the Premier League now. And the parachute payments are so huge. Well, I mean, it it's maybe hard having this conversation with a Sunderland supporter because obviously didn't work with Sunderland. But, you know, nine times out of 10, it means you just get yo-yo clubs yeah. and they go back down. They come straight back up because they've got, you know, budgets that are 10 times the size of the people they're playing against. And, and to me it's it kind of a bit destroys the the competitiveness it's it's a bit like you know having a formula one a race and somebody's in a Ford escort you know you know yeah. who's gonna win before it starts so yeah. salary caps i think if if they did bring those in at some point in the championship in some form or another that might help but at the moment um I have to say the championship is a complete basket case in mm-hmm. terms of Finances, it is. Um,
0: but but I mean, you mentioned I mean talking about kind of sport and merit and integrity and all that. So can't really not mention the outcome of last season. And I've obviously read and, and heard Mark's description on on a podcast and in in writing where he basically felt that like the club, rather than being relegated on sport and merit, were kind of voted out of League yeah. One obviously you know he, he had that feeling that the sport integrity was taken out of the proceedings but did the club feel like there was a there was a pathway to getting that last season finished
1: yes we did um we we, we felt there were other things that could be done but actually our, our main proposal wasn't around finishing the season as it happened because I think we accepted that that some clubs were going to struggle enormously financially for that so as much as we were prepared to to finance doing that we didn't want to force other clubs into a position where they were um, likely to go bust so basically we had put forward a proposal which is basically look, use PPG but where it gives you incredibly tight results then you know you don't penalise people as a consequence of them mm. because it's just not fair particularly when you are carrying on playing when it suits you like mm. in, in playoffs yeah. for examples you know you're essentially taking a financial decision to stop this early and so so um, just in those areas um, where history, where probability shows you that you know, these people would not have gone down, then they should be given the benefit of the doubt. And, and we didn't think it was that radical a proposal, but Sadly, I think, I think you saw for a lot of clubs, it, it brought out the worst in them, in that I can't tell you the number of people who said, oh, but that means there'll be you know one extra club relegated next season, which makes our chances of going down statistically slightly higher, so we won't vote for it. Yeah. And and yeah, it was it was hard to take. It, it was really hard to take, and we refused to say we were relegated. We say yeah. we were demoted.
0: I certainly don't blame me on that front. But uh, well, not we will not dwell on that for, for too long. But uh, but actually, I mean an, another blow really because we mentioned Mickey Mellon, the job that he did, and following that, unfortunate, and I'll call it demotion as as well as I go through the season was uh, abandoned. But uh, he left for for Dundee United in in July twenty twenty. Obviously, kind of a, a, a big blow, but. I mean, is that part and parcel of having a manager successful for a few years at that level and someone's just going to come in at some point?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I would rather be in a position where other clubs are trying to pinch our manager and our players than not, because at least mm. that means you're doing something right and, and you've had success. And I think the view we take, um, certainly with players, and, and it's it's no different with managers, is if you can do a great job for us, um and then move on to better things and you know we won't stand in your way of of doing that and you know mickey had got us back up to league one for which we will always be grateful the way it ended was was disappointing obviously with the, the 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 demotion but um you know, I don't think we can lay that entirely at his door, yeah. but it was it was due to the, the the way that the the vote panned out. So, yeah, he he went off to Dundee, but it was I, th- I think yeah, it, it was a, an unsettling time for the supporters. Mm. Um, but but funnily enough, I think that sort of burning sense of injustice over the way that the the season had ended sort of kept people together in a way that otherwise might have been difficult to sustain if we'd just been relegated in the normal course of events
0: yeah well I mean you went with uh, Mike Jackson at the time who was uh, Mickey Mallon's assistant but he lasted mm. till till Halloween when you were 18th after 10 games and then you appointed Keith Hill in November and since then you've won 14 and uh, and lost four out of the last 21 league games uh you've lost only twice oh sorry we've lost, lost only once so far in 2021 impressive turnaround and I was I was going to say that obviously it's never going to be a pleasant thing when you when you have to sack a manager and make a change but I mean does it make it much easier on that decision when you know you have this turnaround in terms of form and and league position as well
1: it does with hindsight. I mean, the you know, obviously the difficult bit is it's always a gamble when you appoint a manager to some extent because, you know, you, you don't you, you can't know for certain how it will pan out. Um, we felt with with Mike um, that, you know, he'd been with the club a long time and he was a very highly respected coach and he'd been a big part of the Uh, the promotion stories. So we felt we owed it to him to give him um, a chance at it. Bringing Keith in was, um, you know, a, a different kettle of fish. He's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of his level of experience um as a manager and and we felt we needed that because we knew we had good players we knew we had really good players but something just wasn't clicking in terms of getting them together and and playing well together and we wanted and we needed somebody who was very experienced in in order to do that and and Mark spent I think um about 40 hours interviewing candidates um (laughs) Because he interviewed, on the shortlist, he interviews them for a long time. The the interviews go on for, you know, three or four hours. And he does that quite deliberately because his view is somebody can lie to you for 45 minutes or they can keep up a good front. When you've spoken to them for three or four hours, you get to see the real you know, the, the the real person behind the rehearsed answers and the um, this is what they want to hear um, reply. So he'd put a massive amount of effort into that. And, um, and, and Keith was a manager who had had phenomenal success in League Two, which was really important in every single season that he's had a full season in league 2 he's either got promoted or been in the playoffs and where we were at that point in time that seemed to us to be a stretching but brilliant target to have so mm-hmm. so yeah um we appointed him and it, and it it seems to have certainly paid off
0: yeah d- definitely much I mean- would. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I mean huge, huge turnaround. Like I said, you were kind of eighteenth and I mean, right now you're you're sitting fourth in the league um at the time we're recording this. Uh very really tight at the top, and it was four points separating the top five up there mm. in league two. I mean, considering the 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 kind of position you find yourself now, is it now from this stage, you know, a couple of months left or you know, we getting to the business end of the season. Is it the expectation now that you're in the mix for you know the top six, if if not the kind of automatic places towards the end of the season?
1: Uh, absolutely, the automatic places are, um, are are the target. As much as I love going to Wembley for my blood pressure <laughs> and my sanity's sake, it would be nice to go up as champions <laughs> and not have to go uh, through the roller coaster. So, absolutely, automatic promotion is the aim. There is a sense um, in the squad of there's a really good spirit in the squad at the moment, which is, is nice to see. It has shades of the spirit that we saw for that team that got us out of the national league. It's um, it's, it's quite a Scouse thing. Mark always tells me that Merseyside dressing rooms have a certain, <laughs> a certain different characteristic to them. They, you know, we've got some strong characters in there. We've got some great experience. We've got some really experienced players like uh, Jay Spearing, um, James Vaughan, Peter Clark, and uh, but they're all strong characters in the dressing room, and it means there's a um, a great spirit. Um, that hopefully, you know, it's it's that sort of never say die attitude, and, and hopefully that will uh, get us back to League One.
0: Yeah, well, you you're certainly preaching to the converted with Sunderland fans in terms of the playoffs. Uh, that's for sure, because uh, we're, we're <laughs> sick of the sight of them as well. Uh, but you, you mentioned you mentioned one of the the main reasons for the good form um, uh, there, which is uh, someone who's familiar there to Sunderland fans and uh, it's uh, james vaughan uh, 19 goals so far this season uh, i'm sure i'm sure somewhere well, that's in, the
1: back- in the league he's got got yeah. to more if you count the cups
0: yeah yeah absolutely um in in this run he's been he's been fantastic uh, um but he's flying flying after signing from bradford in the summer mm. He's been
1: fantastic yeah he is it, it, it's been great to see he's he's been the lift that we've needed he's, hes certainly made um a big difference to us I mean it's it's a funny thing with strikers how you know they can they can work in some places and and not in others I mean mm. ironically the leading scorer in our league at the moment is Paul Mullen who was with <laughs> us and we mm-hmm. let him um move to Cambridge because he, he he hadn't worked out with us Um, And and I think, you know, sometimes it's just to do with the way that the team is being set up around particular individuals. They may work somewhere better than others. Sometimes I think players just have a, a purple patch. I mean, you know, we were we were so lucky that we had James Norwood for that amazing year when he scored, I think, 32 goals. You know, James Vaughan seems to be coming into his own and scoring goals for fun at the moment. And, and we've got a, an, another one, Kane Woolery, who's um, who's uh, started popping them in for fun as well. His his tally isn't as high because he's, um, you know, has, has only been regularly playing quite recently. But he's, um, yeah, he's scoring for fun at the moment as well, which is good to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sunderland have got a long tradition of uh, ex-players coming back to haunt us, so... Um, or, uh, yeah, or, or, or... I
1: think we've all got that. I think we've all got that. <laughs> well, but, but you know, Tramir fans have still got an enormous soft spot for for Max. Mm. Um, you know, I think um, Max was 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 you know Tramair uh, for, for many years. Came mm. through the academy. He's, as I said, because we are a, a sort of lower league club. He's probably personally known to so many of the fans in a, in a way that um, you know may not be the same with the I don't know. There is a a, a genuine infection. In fact, Mark and I were laughing about um, who's his dad going to be rooting for, because <laughs> his dad's an absolute died-in-the-wool uh, Tranmere supporter. So uh, we decided he's going to have to hope that Tranmere win. But Max is a standout player for Sunderland in a hard-fought game. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll see what the odds are on a Max Power hat trick and four-three to or something like that. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, my kind of experience with Tranmere, I'm going back kind of, you know, the Tranmere signs were around 20 years ago. You know, you reached the League Cup final, FA Cup, three FA Cup quarterfinals in the space of four years under mm. under John Aldridge. And, and I, I was actually at Prenton uh, Park in 2000 when uh, Tranmere beat us in the FA Cup. And uh, John, Aldridge, John Aldridge cheekily brought on a sub for Clint Hill um, when, he, <laughs> when he was sent off. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I'm sure Keith Hill won't have anything like that up be sleeve, but... Um, but I mean, since those days, obviously, you know, I've always had this image of Tranmere as a tough place to go to, especially kind of a cup team, you know, because that was I was brought yeah. up on Tranmere being that, that kind of cup team. Um, you've clearly taken the the Papa John's Trophy or the EFL Trophy seriously this season. You've had Manchester City under twenty ones, Leicester under twenty ones, Peterborough, Oxford in the semi finals. Um, but I mean, what what's your view of? because there's quite a lot of criticism that's thrown at this competition at times but but kind of what's your view on the, on this competition and, and the criticism it gets at times
1: <laughs> well uh, it, it's an interesting one because uh, I think uh there's a band Half Man Half Biscuit who wrote a song called Swerving <laughs> the Checker Trade and they're I've massive of <laughs> fans um, I've
0: in, been sharing that all over the place recently <laughs> Yeah
1: and so, so obviously there was this sort of you know slight antipathy uh, towards the competition from our fans because of the the youth element I think because they felt it was one of the the trophies that you know the club had a real history in and it was one of the chances for the lower league clubs to get Wembley and you know win a win a big trophy etc and and they felt that the gloss had been lost a little bit I think I I I see it from both ways first of all I don't see it as the thin end of the wedge for B teams to be honest I think there's so much resistance to B teams that that it wouldn't happen and and the harsh reality is that in the guise that it was the trophy was struggling to be financially viable you know they could they couldn't find a, a sponsor for it at that point and I think they manage it quite carefully to I don't think the EFL wants one of the youth teams to win mm. <laughs> this trophy. Yeah, yeah. And and it, for them it's about getting some proper competition um for the young players. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, there was there was an uncomfortable game we had uh, in the group stage where we we beat Aston Villa under 21's kind of seven nil and it was a bit kind of men against boys and uh. it was a little bit uncomfortable but uh, but yeah but but I mean that, that semi-final night um, winning two nil at Oxford, huge night. and I think a lot of clubs have had these sort of nights during the pandemic where you know although everyone misses the fans every week you know to you know ev- every game you want the fans. I mean, a night like that, it would have added so much if you were able to share that win at Oxford with with some fans who, who made the trip.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't want to moan about um, what it's like being at the Games because I'm painfully conscious that I've been lucky enough to, to be able to go to all of our home Games yeah. when um, our, our supporters haven't. But it's dismal sitting there mm. in an empty stadium with, you know, no response from any crowd to anything that's going on it it's it's really just takes a massive part of of the game away and i think you're seeing some really strange results in every division and and part of it is is because of that i think mm. it's it does change the dynamics of a game of football
0: uh, well it's your uh, fourth trip to Wembley in almost seven years, as we've been going through. You must be getting used to these trips to the country. It must be almost getting boring going to... No, it's, going it's, to, the fourth <laughs> trip. It, it's
1: the fourth trip in just under four years, actually.
0: Well, yeah, for, yeah four years, I, w- I was going the total. But, yeah, obviously, with the, the first couple of years, I, I was kind of discounting that <laughs> that first bit. Where, But, yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you, you must be getting used to it, though. But, but again, I mean, we mentioned the semi-final. It, it's, it's going to be very different without the fans. A Big, big occasion's all about kind of a, a full Wembley Stadium mm. and the fans but I I did notice that you officially requested to delay the final, but then it was declined by the the EFL. Was there ever a point where that looked a possibility or did you kind of get the impression that it might be a non-starter?
1: No, to be fair, the the EFL... um did try very hard to look at alternatives Um, it was complicated Um, it was complicated this year because of the Euros and contractual commitments that Wembley already had as well as other things that were baked into the calendar so the only date that would have been available was sort of right in the middle of the playoffs and I think it was always going to be difficult because you know there's a chance that we may be in the playoffs I hope we don't need (laughs) them and likewise for Sunderland so yeah they did try hard to find an alternative to be fair to them but it
0: just wasn't to be. Mm. It's, it's good to know actually, because on the face of it, when you see the all you see in the press, as far as you know, the people like myself are concerned, you you see that you put the request in, and you just see the EFL knocking it back. Mm. You, you're not sure, you're not quite sure how much the effort they actually go into looking at it. But but it's it's good to know that it was actually kind of considered and and, and thought about. But yeah, I mean, obviously, we talked about the atmosphere at these cup finals. Obviously, huge, old, like kind of nervous energy. I mean, do you think it's going to impact the players playing in a? And an empty Wembley, kind of without the fans there, because in Cup Finals players kind of feed off this nervous energy for Cup Finals, don't they, usually?
1: Well, well, I think it can go either way. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. Uh, players react differently to the pressure because I think there are some that end up getting a bit of stage fright and, you know, overawed by the occasion if they've got a, you know, a, a, a sort of a big crowd at Wembley, particularly if it's their first time playing at Wembley. And um, there'll be others who'll, who'll sort of rise to the occasion and absolutely feed off the crowd. So, you know, it's it's difficult to predict what impact it will have, but for sure, it's. It's such a shame for the players who haven't been to Wembley before that their Mm. first experience of it will be such a a strange one.
0: Yeah, with Sunderland fans, we see kind of already the Wembley merchandise going around, and we've got a we've got a virtual ticket initiative trying to raise lots of sums uh, for charity. And but yeah, I, I mean, has has it gripped the Tranmere fans as well? Kind of in terms of a cup final, and if they're getting into you know all the merchandise going around, and everyone getting, even though they're watching it at home.
1: Yes. Yeah, it has. I mean, I, I I wouldn't say it's it's quite the same as, you know, when everybody's planning the journey down and sharing or this is where my seat is and where are you, what block are you in and all the usual shenanigans. But yeah, know they, they, there is a, a big sense of uh, anticipation and positivity around it. Uh, we've had a beer produced specially that's uh, <laughs> going on on sale shortly. So I'm sure that will go down well.
0: Fantastic. And I mean, you mentioned it earlier on that you have been lucky enough to, to get to games. I'm, I'm assuming that you're, you're making the trip down to Wembley.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been going to all the home games. Um, We stopped going to the away games when that was discouraged, um, when the third lockdown came because there was this particularly uh, virulent version of the virus going round. So we haven't been to the away games uh, recently, but we have been to all the home games. And yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't miss Wembley.
0: Well, I mean, because it's a cup final, I'll I'll not ask for a prediction, um, because it is a cup final, and and anything it's a toss of a coin in in a cup final. But uh, but what what I'll just say is, uh, well, I hope you have a great day, and hope it's a great game, obviously. But uh, other than the final, of course, I'm gonna wish you all luck for the rest of the season. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, McLean. Thank you for the time. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. And and likewise to to you guys. Yeah, hopefully whatever happens, hopefully uh, it's a good game of football and hopefully we'll both uh, be a division higher by the end of the season.
0: Yes, definitely. I think uh, that that would soften the blow for any whoever the losing side is going to be uh, at Wembley, but, but that would be fantastic. But th- thanks again, Nicola. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks again for everyone uh, listening. And as always, check out what's going on on the site. I'm sure there's going to be another pod dropping very soon as well. But from us, it's, it's bye for now.